0: Your host, Jill Cody. Today, our program is the most dangerous organization in America—you've never heard of. The American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC, is a pay-to-play operation in which legislatures. Legislators and corporate lobbyists meet behind closed doors to write model legislation that advances a radical right-wing, pro-corporate, and pro-Republican agenda on everything from suppressing voter access and denying the climate breakdown to crushing unions and undermining public education. Alec embraced the Christian right extremists who pushed for the nationwide abortion ban, and at last summer's annual meeting, they celebrated... The Supreme Court's Dobbs decision that took away a woman's half-right century of freedom over, quote, late-night dessert and coffee. We have big things to do. Our guest today is Vicki Harrison. Vicki is currently Common Causes Director of Constitutional Convention and Protecting Dissent Programs. She leads the nonprofit's work on stopping a dangerous Constitutional Convention that would rewrite the entire united states constitution she was she has built successful lobbying campaigns election protection programs local ballot measures published research and reports and created coalitions for democracy in new mexico vicky graduated summa cum laude from the university of mexico with a degree in women's studies and african-american studies Vicki, it is such an honor thank you for being our guest today welcome to be bold america
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jill. I'm super excited to talk to you and your listeners about ALEC. Well, I'm super excited, too, because
0: I have so many questions here, and I've known about ALEC for, you know, several years, but it's still not known what they do. And I did get a listener uh, who saw this topic coming up, and I wanted to share with you what he said, a little bit of what he said. He said, this episode scares him. (laughs) He said, Alec... It does. It does. Alec is one of the truly dystopian forces hard at work today. So I thought, wow, what a way to start. Maybe just starting with the... um, you know, a little bit about what Common Cause does, just, you know, your mission and a little bit of what your responsibilities are, and then we'll get into it.
1: That sounds fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for having me on the program. And I've been with Common Cause for a little over a decade. Common Cause is an organization that was, we were founded in 1970 right after the Watergate scandal. Our founder, John Gardner, it said that he looked around DC and said, Where is the people's lobbyist? I see the lobbyist for everybody, but where's the people's lobbyist? So, Jill, we work on things like democracy reform, voting rights, gerrymandering, media in democracy, all sorts of issues. You know, back in the day, we were the ones working on open meetings acts and mundane things that we thought were pretty easy, like public records, public access to meetings. And then we saw during the pandemic some of those norms thrown completely out the window and we were back to 1970 again. So we work on, you know, we call ourselves the people's lobbyists uh, holding power accountable. I always say that we're the ones in state houses and in Congress asking legislators to give up some of that power and do the right thing.
0: Common Cause just had two big wins a week ago. One was in the state of Oregon and the other was with the Supreme Court. Just a little bit about that too, please.
1: Absolutely. Our win in Oregon was uh, the Oregon State Legislature rescinded all previous calls for a constitutional convention. Now, Jill, they had some old ones on the books, things that had already been accomplished through our amendment process. Um, But cleaning up these old single-subject, or as we call them, plenary bills that are asking to rewrite our constitution is something we do at Common Cause with many of our partners who are trying to stop an Article Five convention. So not only did Oregon rescind, but in a very contentious state with a very contentious legislature and the walkout of the Senate Republicans, the Senate actually passed it unanimously. Which, I, in my, I've never heard of that happening. That's wonderful. So that was a huge win. Wonderful. That was a huge win to stop folks from rewriting the Constitution, which is like a third of what I do. And our next win, of course, was the only thing good that came out of the Supreme Court this week was the Moore v. Harper decision on this. You know, it's wonky. It's called the independent state legislature theory. But would it but does just destroy
0: democracy if they vote, <laughs> voted the other way, right? Well,
1: Exactly. And that's the way I, you know, I've tried to simplify it. You know, this case started in North Carolina when North Carolina legislature a few years ago did their maps, their redistricting process. They were challenged in court. The North Carolina Supreme Court struck down the maps and said, you have to redo these. These are obviously racially gerrymandered. They are gerrymandered for the Republican Party. And instead of doing that, they challenged it, which basically they were saying, we don't have to listen to you. We don't have to listen to our Constitution, and we can write and establish laws without any review from the governor or the courts. The courts. That's basic democracy. Exactly. Exactly. It was stunning that it even got that that far. It's amazing. And I think, you know, especially going through courts, I think, you know, we see everybody with some self-interest, and you would have, thought that that could have been stopped. So that would have been devastating for our democracy if that would have passed and if they would have not struck that ruling down. So now North Carolina and, you know, Moore v. Harper, Barbara Moore is you know, one of our North Carolina board members at Common Cause. And so this has been a huge victory for us, along with so many other partners. And it's just, uh, it was one win for democracy this week.
0: It was, I congratulate Common Cause. They are an awesome and 53-year-old organization, so you're doing something right. (laughs) And (laughs) the next thing is, is let's let's start talking about the most dangerous organization in America you've never heard of, Alec the American Legislative Exchange Council. So how long have they been in so, operation, and what what are their successes? Who and what is ALEC?
1: Well, ALEC is actually celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. They were started back in 1973. Some conservative legislators and uh, conservative activists were like, let's bring together the public and the private, so Alec became you know they they call first of all let's just say they call themselves a five o one c three they say that they do not do any lobbying, and everything they do is education, which is one of the reasons we filed a complaint with the IRS over a decade ago, because it's obvious from anybody who lobbies, like we do, that what they're doing is lobbying. But they say they're educating. And what they do is they have members who are legislators who pay, again, typically it's $100 a year every two years for a legislator to be a member. And then corporations can be members, and they pay much more, anywhere from 8000 to 25000 That was their model for many years. They've now, in recent years, gotten away because we, after Stand Your Ground and their work on voter ID bills, along with many organizations, worked and got literally 125 of their corporate partners to leave. So now they do a lot more. You know, our partners at the Center on Media and Democracy who try to track their spending, but again, as a C3, it's not public if they don't want it to be, can only identify about a third of their donors. But what they do is they bring people together. They have these task force. Typically, they've had eight task force that work on different things. You've got legislators and you've got corporate lobbyists and you've got business together. And then behind closed doors, they vote on what they call model legislation. And the model legislation is then taken by the legislators at these conferences back to their state houses and they introduce them like it's their own. They never, for the last five decades, nobody ever comes back and says... I got this at an Alec conference. Yeah, I know they were caught
0: once, though I forget what state where the leg- the uh, politician handed in the actual um, document that Alec had written, and it had Alec on it. That was one way we all started to know who Alec was, right?
1: It was just and that copied over. <laughs> Absolutely, because you look at the bills and you're like, wait a minute, these are identical. These are the same exact pieces of legislation that you're acting like is something you came up with. And again, I have people sometimes ask me, well, you know, Vicki, common cause, y'all come up with legislation that you're pushing. You know, you're trying to make sure people can vote and you're doing your campaign finance stuff and you're, you know, redistricting. But again, we are not monetarily... We're not politically benefiting from passing any of that. Whereas these corporations, you know, Alex says it's all about reducing government and reducing this excess fiscal spending. But what it really is, and I've heard this many times, it's profit-driven legislation. And that is the problem because they're obviously lobbying. They are working. They're creating the access. You know, lobbying, people like to think of it because a company gave you a big check. That big check is just the beginning, Jill. The big check gives you access. That is where the lobbying comes in, is the access. And now they have access. They've been wined. They've been dined at some schmoozy, fancy resort. Again, not lobbying. So in many states, they're avoiding disclosing that information.
0: Well, um, this is probably a good time to take a break, because right after the break, I wanted to talk about what led up to Alec. I think, you know, Lewis Powell's memo... Uh, to talk a little bit about that. And, um, and Paul Wyrick, who started that in Heritage Foundation. So when we get back, I'll ask you more about those organizations, too. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. Our topic today the most dangerous organization in America you've never heard of. And our guest is. Vicki Harrison, Common Causes Director of Constitutional Convention and Protecting Dissent Programs. I'm your host, Jill Cody.
1: Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Tom Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m. I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7
2: FM. Tag, you're it.
0: We're back. And would you like a friend to hear this interview, the most dangerous organization in America you've never heard of? Well, tell them that this interview and many other Be Bold America interviews are available as a podcast. They may subscribe for free from their favorite podcast platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, and Radio Public. Our guest today is Vicki Harrison from Common Cause. She is the director of constitutional convention and protecting dissent programs. You may also learn more by visiting commoncause.org and prwatch.org. Um, now, Vicki, I don't want to catch you by surprise, but I did want to talk about Lewis Powell.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you also, you know, Jill mentioned the Heritage Foundation, yes. which are, you know, part of this entire thing. And I think that you know, if you look back, this is all the early 70s when we see these things happening, which is not only when we started, but we've got Watergate. We've got this memo, which, you know, has been, you know, it's been called many, many things, but basically the blueprint for corporate America and how to do it right. And I think that these kinds of conversations, we see the same people in the same room. And we see them, whether I'm talking about Alec or I'm talking about stopping an Article 5 convention. These are the same folks that we saw morph into things like the Tea Party in, you know, a decade ago. And
0: the Freedom so Caucus now in Congress. The Freedom
1: mm-hmm. Caucus now. Which has just moved on and on, and again, the Heritage Foundation and the Coke industry. You know, we can't say the Coke brothers anymore. We have right. one, but the industry. I mean, they have their fingers in all of this. Every, you know, most states have Jill some version, fake nonprofit, is what I like to call them, um, of an Alec version. You know, some sort of think tank that is being funded by Heritage the Cokes, that sort of thing. And, you know, laying it out, we have seen so many speeches from these guys back in the 70s. And I wish I could remember where this one came from, but it's at one of these Heritage Foundation things. And, you know, the speaker is literally saying, we don't want people to vote. Oh, that was Paul
0: Wyrick. Yes, he started, Alec, and he started the moral majority, and
1: yes. And I think it was, and he just said, we, and I I can see it clear in my mind, he says, we don't want people to vote. Our stuff does better when people don't vote. And so when people ask me, what is, why would Alec have? Be you know be interested in voter ID bills, for example. They're not monetarily benefiting from them, and I always say, well, let's stop for a minute because I always say follow the money on anything. You will find that. But at the same time, if this is part of that same movement, then of course, making it harder for people to vote—that's a no-brainer. But you know, that's again, you know, when we talk about people not knowing about Alec Jill, I think. You know, it was a decade ago when Trayvon Martin was murdered. And that's when people heard about Alec really for the first time. Not people, everybody, many people knew about him. But really, because not only did we have that happen, but we had a whistleblower at Alec who turned over a bunch of documents to one of our partners that I mentioned earlier, the Center on Media and Democracy. And they turned over almost 900 model bills. Wow. And it was the first time anybody had gotten access to boxes upon boxes of information. Because, again, everything is kept behind closed doors. And that's when we started seeing the depth of what they had been working on and the different bills. So we've got that. So 10 years ago, we've got that dump. We've got Trayvon Martin being murdered. And, again, Alec didn't start the stand-your-ground bill. But what they did after Florida passed it almost 20 years ago was they then took it to another over 20 states and really pushed it for the next five years. And so they got a lot of pushback. There was actual media about Alec, about the stand-your-ground bill. And so, and then they also started getting a lot of flack about the voter ID bill. So now, in 2023, they have disbanded, quote, unquote, these task force. And they're working on other things now that, you know, they say that they review what they're doing every five years and move things as necessary.
0: We were talking about Lewis Powell and uh, Paul Weyrich. You know, Paul Wyrick, that, that video is on YouTube. So anyone can go uh, see him actually saying, we don't want everybody to vote. And he was talking about the goo-goo syndrome, people that want good government. <laughs> he says, we don't want that. <laughs> so you can actually see him say that in 1973. Uh, just to mention that Lewis Powell's memo to... Uh, The U.S. uh, Chamber of Commerce was called Attack on American Free Enterprise System. Powell's position was that business was under attack by communists, new leftists, socialists, revolutionaries, college campuses, pulpits, media, intellectual, and literary journals, arts and scientists, politicians, Ralph Nader, and Rachel Carson. (laughs) I mean, he just scared the daylights out of uh, corporate executives back then and turned them into injured parties. You know, oh, my gosh, we have to survive. And to survive, we have to, legis- you know, get in touch and manipulate, you know, things with politicians. And then Paul Weyrich started the ALEC uh, and the Heritage Foundation. Another thing I think it's important for people to know um, about the Heritage Foundation is that it was initially funded with $250,000 donation from Joseph Coors, the son of Adolph Coors, you know, the Coors Beer family.
1: Yeah. Well, and Go ahead. They're still funders of Alex. Yes, um, uh, up until re. I mean, in, in, the best we can determine as of two thousand nineteen, which is the latest we've gotten anything, um, is you know they continue to be somebody who funds a lot of that.
0: Well, to to. Say that Alec is a five hundred one c three is really an abomination.
1: <laughs> I mean, well, and that Jill has been my issue with them for over a decade, and one of the reasons I was thrilled that we did file the whistleblower complaint. The problem is, is that we've got so many c threes that are doing this. We have so many that are going beyond lobbying and are actually doing political work. And the IRS has been, you know, what, the toothless giant for I don't know how long as far as enforcing. And we because we see it in administrations defunding the enforcement division. Now, hopefully that's getting better with the latest administration, but it is something that we've seen over and over because, quite frankly, neither party wants the IRS investigating everybody. And that's not ever been a popular thing, let's, you know, hold these people accountable. But, you know, it just offends me as somebody who has proudly been an advocate lobbyist for many years for animal rights and abolishing the death penalty and civil legal aid and good government. There is nothing shameful about being a lobbyist. And I register and I don't buy things. I don't contribute to campaigns. Yet they can do... create much more of a relationship, do much more lobbying, literally create the bills and call themselves a C3. We're doing education. So not only are they not having to register, not having to disclose, but think about all the corporations, whether they're donating to them or now they're, you know, moving into sponsoring an event or a panel, that's a tax-deductible donation back to the corporation. It's just insidious.
0: Also, Alec seems to frame everything as a monumental moral fight of historic significance. I mean, just the, the drama, they just keep going that they're in a fight for their lives. You know, the, Alec is where the backroom is, where the laws are born. You know, it's I, I read here, I think maybe from Alec Exposed. That's, is Alec Exposed on that PR watch website It is. And that's
1: where those initial documents were put and where our partners at CMD are working to continually update that. You know, it's, it's difficult. People ask me all the time, Jill, is my state legislator a member? Is this corporation a member? And I always say, I don't know, kind of. I might know, but everything is in secret. So unless somebody who attends something or somebody who's there talks about it, or we have some places where state legislators are proud of being a member of ALEC, and they tell everybody. Well, and uh, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, that really is. They like to continually, and you will hear them in every media blitz they do, talk about being nonpartisan, bipartisan. We have members from every walk of the political spectrum. And it's just not true. They may have a few independents or, you know, unaffiliated voter people that are legislators. They may have a couple of Democrats, but it's overwhelmingly... A majority of really conservative Republican legislators who are then, as you mentioned, working behind closed doors on a task force with business, with corporate lobbyists, to decide and vote on which model legislation they're going to push to their members.
0: We had this with, uh, so far, we've discovered two Supreme Court justices that have just taken money from billionaires and gone off to resorts and Does that happen with ALEC? Do they pay for lawmaker trips uh, to go to resorts to get these ready-made bills?
1: Absolutely. Uh Absolutely. This is something that they do. And again, Jill, like you just mentioned, most of this country is horrified that our Supreme Court or our legislators or Congress, we are not that jaded that it doesn't horrify us that they are taking advantage of their position. They're not disclosing it. You know, I, I used to have some legislators would tell me around campaign finance reports or disclosure, you know, Vicki, I'm following the law. And I used to tell them, Jill, way to scrape the bottom of the barrel, okay? <laughs> the law is what you have to do. Right. Above the law, there's ethics. And then above ethics is your own morality. What is stopping us from doing better? If I were a Supreme Court justice, I would go above and beyond to restore faith. I would, it would, I would feel like it was my job to help the American public even think that we had a shred of dignity left. Instead, we see Alec doing the same thing. We've heard from legislators who've attended conferences for the last couple of decades about the lavish parties and the free drinks and the cocktails and the cigars and, you know, the golf trips and all of that.
0: Well, I I talk about (laughs) the law is... Really, the bottom, as you said, it's the final, lowest level. And as you mentioned, you, you have ethics, to do that: morals, traditions, norms, values. That's what our democracy is is um, created on. Are those first <laughs> somebody's own uh, character and integrity and trustworthiness, and not being um, because of those character traits, not being corruptible, and then you and and then say, well, it's I'm doing what the law says. It's like, what? (laughs) You
1: know, you need to do more than that. You have to do more than that. The law, again, that's the base. That's what you have to do. And nothing prevents people from doing better. And I think anyone who is an elected official or... A Supreme Court justice—that's their job to do the right thing. And I always tell people, "You've known what was the right thing since you were in kindergarten." And don't tell me you don't, because I know you do know what's right.
0: Well, in my book, America Abandoned, I talked about anti-character. Simply put, you know, you know it's wrong, and you do it anyway. <laughs> you have these exactly. character traits of of honesty and integrity, and uh, as I said, trustworthiness, But and you know that lying isn't being trustworthy you know, and not honest, and you do it anyway. So it's intentional anti-character. We don't like character. We don't want to have anything to do with that.
1: <laughs> it just, and it's making a choice not to do the right thing. Because yeah. I, I, trust me, every single person before they do the wrong thing... They know in their head they're doing
0: it. Exactly. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Many Voices One Station listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. I'm speaking with our bold guest, Vicki Harrison, who is Common Causes Director of Constitutional Convention and Protecting Dissent Programs. Vicki leads a nonprofit work on stopping a dangerous constitutional convention and who is speaking with us today about ALEC, a pay-to-play organization that writes, in my view, anti-democratic legislation for Republican state legislature adoption. Visit commoncause.org and prwatch.org. We will be right back after Jim Hightower's commentary titled, The Secret of Wokeness.
2: In Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Humpty Dumpty scornfully declares that when I use a word, it means just what I choose it to mean. So what does woke mean? It's become the pet political aspersion that today's kooky right-wing hucksters hurl at liberals. But the hurlers would be whopper-jawed to learn that it was actually coined by and far progressives. Indeed, it admonishes people to be awake to the dangers posed by hate-filled bigots and reactionaries like well, like today's right-wing extremists. Surprising historical tidbit, the first person reported to have used the word was Huddy Ledbetter, the legendary black blues artist known as Leadbelly. Among his many classic songs was Scottsboro Boys, about nine black teenagers falsely accused in 1931 of raping two Alabama white women. As a black musician who traveled the back roads of the Jim Crow South, Lead Belly warned others to pay attention when in a viciously racist state. Best stay woke, he cautioned. But out of blind ignorance, blind arrogance, or both, today's adapters of the Jim Crow mentality have perverted common sense wokeness into a verbal whip to lash African Americans, immigrants, Democrats, women, LGBTQ people, and all others they don't like. Pretty much everyone who looks, thinks, prays, and acts different from them. How kooky? They've declared librarians, science, Mickey Mouse, and Bud Light to be their evil enemies. Don't be woke, they bark, demanding autocratic, plutocratic, and theocratic laws to coerce compliance with their own retrogressive bigotries. This is Jim Hightower saying, bear in mind that this is no longer a fringe cult, but the mainstream of the Republican Party, including its top congressional leaders, presidential wannabes, and state officials. Actually, you can easily comprehend what these Humpty Dumpties really mean by their don't-be-woke war cry, just substitute the word sane for woke. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you subscribers to Jim Hightower's Lowdown on Substack. Find us at jimhightower.substack.com.
0: Welcome back. My guest today is Vicki Harrison from Common Cause, and our topic is the most dangerous organization in America you've never heard of. Now, Vicki, you mentioned that uh, ALEC sort of relooks really at its strategies, their plans every five years, and I read that one of ALEC's mission is to combat woke capitalism. What on earth does that mean?
1: It is madness, Jill. <laughs> so so, so. <laughs> one of their latest things, uh, in addition, you know, I mean, they have folks on their, you know, advisory council is what they're now calling them instead of their corporate board, you know, that are part of, you know, oil and gas, energy companies. And so ESG, it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And they are simply factors that many financial firms take into consideration when they're looking to invest. You know, do you treat your employees right with the governance part? Do you treat your members right? Are you thinking about the planet? These are things that companies, businesses have used, and they don't like this. Alec and their members do not like this at all, and we saw it in Texas when the governor there said, you know, we will not invest and will not have any company invest our funds for us if you're going to use these principles. So they have been pushing this anti-ESG, anti-woke legislation, and it's kind of become a rallying cry for them. And it's so ridiculous because when you look at it, Jill, you have a lot, as you would fully expect, financial people that are on the other side of this issue. You will see, you know, state treasurers and, you know, investment firms saying this doesn't make any sense. This is just one factor we're using, and it makes no sense just to cripple us when that may be a good factor to think of.
0: And let's mention the letters again, ESG, because I wasn't really very familiar with the The phrase of environmental, social, governance (ESG) factors, and that they were against them. You know, they're against the environmental, against the social, against the governance factors, which include diversity and equity and inclusion, as business practices. And so they're they're looking which are at
1: important business yes, practices, Jill, yes. and made even more so by two devastating Supreme Court rulings this week. Yes. Think about that. I mean, this is just more of, and this is just saying you can't take that into consideration, and if you do, you can't manage our money. Cripple, and that's what the folks in Texas said. The financial people were like, okay— And this was even if you used it with another client or there was branding on your website that talked about being a decent human being. I mean, it (laughs) went so far that financial companies were like, we can't even manage this. We don't even know how to separate that from what we've been doing for years.
0: Well, I laugh only because I don't want to cry, because this is taken seriously uh, by many companies, and uh, or they'll try to figure out uh, how to uh, address it uh, in their in their corporations because Alec is so powerful. And one thing that I don't think you mentioned when you were talking about the difference between what you do and Common Cause does was Alec is the amount of money behind each of these organizations. Alec is flush with money and Common Cause is a true five oh one C three nonprofit. <laughs> it doesn't We are well and
1: we are also a C four and we do oh, right. the lobbying right. and we and that is, you know in fact we were which is very different in this country most people have a c3 and a c4 but we were only a c4 until 2002 when we created our education fund we literally were all lobbying for 32 years which is what alec has been doing the same time and of course you know, never disclosing it in any state, and continuing to say with a straight face, "We are only doing education. We never lobby."
0: This comes down to, in reality, this this combating woke capitalism is that they want uh, states to blacklist companies that divest from fossil fuels. Uh, you know, Absolutely. that's attack, right attack uh, against trying to do anything to stop the breakdown of our climate. They want to prohibit anyone managing state, local, or university pension funds, public pension funds, from considering the climate emergency or other social and political factors when investing these pension funds. What I also see, and I don't think many people really spend much time about because it's kind of boring, but when you talk about environmental, social, and governance factors, you're really talking about the commons. You know, in a democracy, we come together and as a people to fund and manage what we call the commons. I can't have my own sewer system. <laughs> I don't exactly. know. Want, I don't want to know where that goes when I flush the toilet. I mean, I can't have my own library system. I can't have my own fire department. I can't have my own uh, police department. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And we come back. To, we come together as people to work for the commons. And yet, I see what Alec is saying about when they use environmental, social, and governance. It's really trying to destroy the commons, and they say, quote-unquote, ESG investing is socialism in sheep's clothing. Now, supporting the commons is not socialism. The state doesn't own the company. The state isn't running the corporation. It is social of behavior (laughs) in coming together, but it is not socialism. And this is what drives me crazy, is that they're successfully mixing those two.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Well, and it's the same fear tactics that we just spoke about with the Powell memo. I mean, you know, these are socialist ideas to do, to think about the environment, the social welfare of our country, and your governance, like, your board of directors, how do you treat your staff? I mean, it's just more. I mean, of course, these are the same people that pushed the right-to-work laws, that worked with Scott Walker and many others to, make, to try to cripple unions in our country. And, you know, when you look at the things that they have worked on, I mean, bail bonds, you know, I mean, this with the ESG is not surprising at all. And it makes sense for them because they want to protect the big energy. I mean, this is, you know, making sure that, you know, you can't have a protest near a pipeline. I mean, the other part of my job is working to protect the First Amendment. Jill, if you would have asked me 10, 15 years ago I needed to do that, <laughs> I would say there's attorneys out there that have been doing this, and they're in courts, and, You know, the idea in America that we can't protest is absolutely absurd. Or that if we do protest, it's okay if somebody runs over us because we're standing in the street. To make it legal
0: to run over somebody.
1: Absolutely. Or to say, as long as I am not inconvenienced, it's okay. You know, I mean, we've seen these bills for years trying to come up. I used to work on animal rights issues, and we would see bills coming up saying, you can't stand on public property and videotape an animal operation. And I was just like, wait a minute, that's totally illegal. They can't do that. It's public property. But this is something that we see continuing with the ESG and the climate, you know, the Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of one of their bills they had a few years ago around the, you know, Energy Discrimination Act. It's always the opposite of,
0: I know, (laughs) opposite of what it does. And they said, yeah,
1: (laughs) they're like, this is more wokeness. And they're discriminating by saying they're not going to invest in companies that, you know, are doing X, Y, and Z. And again, the financial folks, Jill, are saying, wait a minute, why are state legislators who may know nothing about the financial markets, deciding what we're going to do for state employee pensions.
0: And just shifting the conversation a little bit, because I don't want to miss out on it, is Alex's position on a woman's freedom of choice, liberty to make her own Absolutely. decision. Talk a little bit about, about Alec's position on taking away half well, a century curious. right that women had.
1: They cheered it, and they have members who are have been working for decades to reverse that decision, and this is more of, as you mentioned, this really conservative right movement, and it's, I mean, there's so many things that we probably won't get to, and I hope your listeners look it up, because not only do we have them cheering and, you know, saying we're going to do everything we can to make sure this gets passed in state houses as well around a woman's right to choose. We've got the privatization of education, which is one of the scariest things for me to even think about as somebody who loves education and the way they have manipulated bills around privatization of education, online education schools, which, you know, you can literally see Somebody write the bill. I mean, I always think of that K-12, you know, that's this online schooling, which people got terrible schooling with and built millions out of many state governments. And, you know, it's the right to work. We just barely mentioned that. But that was a big campaign that they have pushed in many states. We've seen it. I mean, I live in New Mexico and they couldn't get it passed at the state level, so they started passing it, Jill, in counties, county by county. And it would be after people had attended an ALEC conference, and they would come back fresh with their bills. There's yeah. a lot of issues. As I said, uh, a decade ago, she was given Lisa Graves was given 850 something bills.
0: Wow. And county by county takes a lot of money and a lot of person power. I read on Alec that Alec stated regarding um, a woman's freedom of choice. They said that state legislators should have the authority to decide what is best for women and their personal health. That that's really a state legislator decision.
1: It's just... Uh, it's... It's horrifying because they love to bring up the states' rights argument when it makes sense to them. Right, right. And And they use it, and it's, you know, again, it's frustrating. I, I, I tell people I work on voting, and nothing frustrates young people more than when they understand that every state has their own system for primary elections. So by the time you get to the general, you're literally comparing apples and oranges. There are certain things that should not be left up to the state to decide whether somebody can vote and whether somebody has control over their own body, I think, would be a couple of them. Exactly. And they know that they're pushing this because then they're going to turn around and push it in Congress. Because, as we know, many of our state legislators then become congressional members. They become U.S. senators. And... While some of them may be proud of their ALEC connection, many of them are going to hide it, and you don't know. And trying to track the bills when you don't even necessarily know what issues they're working on, unless something is leaked, is incredibly difficult. So I always tell people when they ask me, you know, is this an ALEC bill? I'm like, you need to Google some of that. You need to Reach out to the organizations that are working on that bill. Find out where it came from. If you are an advocate who works for a nonprofit, you're lobbying in California, and you see a bill, find out the other partners. Go to the legislative council services and who drafted that bill and find out who wrote this bill, who sent you this language, where did it come from.
0: If you're just joining us, our topic is the most dangerous organization in America you've never heard of. And my bold interview guest is Vicki Harrison, Common Causes Director of Constitutional Convention and Protecting Dissent Programs. Vicki leads the nonprofit's work on stopping a dangerous constitutional convention and who is talking to us today about ALEC that writes dangerous... Anti democratic legislation. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 89.5, 89.7, and 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Tune into KSQD at 6 p.m. for State of Mind, hosted by Santa Cruz licensed psychotherapist Deborah Sloss. About one third of people with a mental health condition also develop a substance use disorder at some point in their lives. In this episode, we discuss the complicated intersection of these problems afflicting nearly 17 million Americans. Deborah speaks with psychotherapist Cynthia Nolenberger and Rick, an artist and musician who shares his journey to mental health recovery and substance use recovery. This 2019 interview has been updated with new material and new stories. That's State of Mind this evening at 6 p.m. here on KSQD 90.7 FM and KSQD.org. We're back and we're speaking with Vicki Harrison from Common Cause. Now, Vicki, what is their end game or do they even have one? What is Alec's end game?
1: Well, Jill, you know, they say what they want is fiscal responsibility in D.C., <laughs> that they want. I mean and again, which is such an overlap with my work to stop an Article Five Convention, which the two biggest campaigns pushing that, Balanced Budget Amendment and Convention of States, has that as part of their platform. Well it's tell us more about
0: that, tell us more about the convention that they're trying to so the, put together and how close are they?
1: Well, balanced budget amendment has twenty eight states. They need thirty four to call a constitutional convention. And the Convention of States, which is the one that Mark Meckler runs, is at 19 right now. And those are the two that are the closest. And, you know, again, Jill, Article 5 in our Constitution gives us two ways to change the Constitution. The first one is the amendment process, which people know about. We've done it 27 times. The second one is called a constitutional convention, which if you can get 34 states to call it, you have a convention, and then it has to be ratified by three-quarters of the states. That has not happened since the last time we, since we wrote our constitution. 1787 is the last time that was done. And the guys that sat down and wrote our constitution, Jill, threw out the rules they themselves had just created. So, the idea of a constitutional convention for common cause, there are entirely too many unknowns. It is, it could be a runaway convention. They could change the rules. Who are going to be the delegates? There's nothing in Article 5 that mentions who, does Congress have a role once they call it? The courts are not mentioned. What could happen? Are we going to have one delegate from each state? Once they get there, can they propose anything like they did when they wrote our... I mean, there's just so many unknowns. And we, I mean, we've got people across the political spectrum that are against this. Even though these two major campaigns currently are being run by primarily Republicans, we have many Republicans in this country who are staunchly against an Article 5 convention, which we just saw in Oregon when... Every single state senator voted to rescind previous calls. So it's a wonky issue, but it's a dangerous one. We have a board member, former board member at Common Cause, that says about an Article 5 convention, why would you set your house on fire and then pray the fire department got there in time? (laughs) Which... (laughs) Because we just don't know. There's so many unknowns. And so... You know, but their biggest thing you know convention of states wants to do the physical thing around uh you know governments, and you know you listen to these guys, Jill, in these state houses across the country, talking about how out of control dc is and they're spending and i can't help it i get a little petty and i have to google the state and how much of their budget comes from the federal government and every time it's ridiculously high and so they don't even listen to themselves when they're saying the government spends too much money and that's what the balanced budget amendment the other one that's at 28 states can you imagine a balanced budget amendment for the federal government during the pandemic, during anything, which is why we have a broad spectrum of support. But unfortunately, we've got these few Republican campaigns that are doing their best to make it partisan right now.
0: Well, when they just say fiscal responsibility, you know, how do they define that? Because, you know, most of our recessions, I think, 8 out of 9 of them I'm not quite sure of the numbers don't quote me were recessions created by republican administrations <laughs> because they just spend 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 and then the democrats have to get come in and correct it all i mean
1: well crash some of, of to- their information that they send out Jill is pretty startling i mean they you know have said get rid of the irs get rid of the department of education get rid of the environment department Get rid of the health department. Put out policy saying we will never raise taxes and we're going to lower everything to a flat tax. I mean, some of the stuff, we're going to get rid of the Affordable Health Care Act. I mean, they think fiscal responsibility and fiscal responsibility in D.C. is eliminating departments. We don't need the environment department. We don't need the interior department. Well, I think most people the education.
0: I don't think most people know that that is a libertarian platform and there's been no libertarian successful libertarian government in the world, ever. (laughs) And it's a libertarian platform. That's what uh, David Koch, who passed away a few years ago, ran on when he ran for vice president. It was just to repeal all the finance laws, you know, abolish Medicare and Medicaid, um, repeal Social Security, abolish the U.S. Post Office. I mean, they went on and on. No public schools. uh, You know, privatize all the roads. Privatize everything. (laughs) No FAA. You can't have safe airplanes. I mean, uh, it just, that, if anybody wants to know, just look up David Koch's vice presidential campaign platform. It was a libertarian ticket, and that is what they are still fighting for today. Um, No regulations on anything, and and who doesn't want regulations? The people that don't want regulations are those that um, uh, think it gets in their way of making money. Or get to their. Go ahead.
1: Absolutely, Jill. And whether we're talking about the the campaigns for the Article Five again, which Alec is very much in support of, and you talk about not. I mean, one of the things Alec has pushed is tort reform. I mean, they have pushed you know private prisons. I mean, it's all about the bottom line and what they're going to make out of it. I mean, it's just a matter of getting making. To me, I, it's like everything that is a current government service, something that we can rely on for the common good, would be taken over by business, by private interests, who are then going to turn around and make money off of it, which we have seen with whether we're talking about bail reform or private prisons or any of these things.
0: What I say to people is that if uh, corporations really were a person, even though legally now they're treated like that, but if they really were a person, they'd be a psychopath because a corporation can't have compassion empathy, <laughs> humility and and it just seems that those psychopathic uh, uh, the lack of any compassion is what leads to the environmental social and governance uh, platforms that they they work on to destroy anything that would deal with clean water. That to me is psychopathic to not want other people to have clean water to drink. I mean, what—that's what America is about—is having clean water and air where many other third world countries don't. So, in this last minute, just what do you think, listeners, could keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to help your cause and common causes, cause? <laughs>
1: Oh, isn't that great? I think, Jill, that what people can keep doing is keep being engaged, talking to their friends and family about issues that matter to them and getting them engaged. Nothing convinces somebody else to get involved more than a friend or family member. And stop doing, I don't really know. I think there is, I think we're all doing our best post-pandemic. So if you're doing something that's not healthy, I'm going to raise a glass to you and say, keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But what you could do in the future is make sure that you reach out to those nonprofits that are working, whether they're doing it in Congress or in the State House in California. Get involved. If you care about immigration rights or women's issues or whatever, education, Find those organizations that are doing that work and get involved. Find out how to stop Alec before it becomes a law in your state. Well, and you'll find too
0: that um, getting involved, you meet new people, you have fun, you you get included in other groups, and it really gives life a sense of meaning. Vicky, thank you and for every being our bold. Yep. Yeah. Thank you we for- meet volunteers. Okay. <laughs> yes, everybody needs the volunteers. Thank you uh, so much for being our bold and impressive guest today. I'm so grateful of your time and it was such an honor. Thank you Vicky for joining us on Be Bold America today.
1: Thank you for having me Jill. And I
0: want to remind listeners to visit commoncause.org and prwatch.org. What's up next on Be Bold America? Please join us on Sunday, July 16th, when friend of the show, Tom Hartman, returns for his fourth visit. This number one progressive talk show host will be telling us about his most recent book, The Hidden History of American Democracy. Democracy is the default state of virtually every animal species on Earth, and humanity is no exception. Only with the power of great wealth, control of media, or the force of arms and technology is it overcome by dictators, popes, and kings. In Tom's powerful sweeping history and analysis of American democracy, he shows how democracy is the one form of government most likely to produce peace and happiness among people. Now our democracy is is under targeted threat so how do we save the longest lasting democracy in the world don't miss the hidden history of american democracy with tom hartman and join be bold america on sunday july 16th at 5 p.m as a reminder be bold america is available as a podcast now you may listen to the show anytime for free by subscribing to apple google and other platforms I want to give a special thank you to Be Bold America's program engineer, Eliza James, and to our station's program director, Howard Feldstein. You are listening to KSQD, Santa Cruz, Prunedale. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for State of Mind with Deborah Schloss. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep stop start.